A Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, episode 225. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, where psychology and business sit down to chat. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, licensed psychologist, speaker, executive coach, and consultant to entrepreneurs, leadership, and their companies. I believe psychology is the key to adapting and thriving both personally and in business. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for people searching for deeper conversation, deeper insight, and deeper research on psychology and business, where weekly conversations and content spark rare and profound insight, inspiring new awareness, new analysis, and new action. It is my mission to unlock the role of psychology inside every human touchpoint in business, all aimed at simplifying and harnessing psychology principles, skills, and strategies you can learn and apply so you and your business continue to grow and thrive. Grab a proverbial seat and tune in for insightful interviews, scientific research, psychology-based frameworks and reflections, and answers to thought-provoking questions so you can learn and leverage psychology for yourself and your business. For those of you who don't know, Justin Klein is the founder and president of Markerly, an influencer marketing agency and technology company with the mission of making marketing more human. Trusted by Fortune 500 companies, government agencies, nonprofits, and up and coming brands alike, Justin has a unique approach to building branded influencer communities through identifying, recruiting, and activating influencers whose lives and communities are most relevant to your brand and values. For nearly a decade since July of 2012, Justin has uplifted and pioneered influencer marketing as part of organizations' holistic marketing strategy and as a way of creating value for communities while maximizing its impact for your organization. Before founding Markerly, Justin was responsible for managing multi-million dollar monthly ad budgets that involves complex audience targeting and optimization at Add This, which was acquired by Oracle. And he did that for brands such as 1-800-Flowers, Sony Pictures, Hilton, and more. In addition to leading and growing Markerly, Justin's interests range from philosophy, ethics, and history to cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, software engineering, and advertising startups. Justin is often quoted in the press on digital marketing, innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship, and has appeared as a thought leader in outlets such as Adweek, Business Insider, Fortune, and more. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a seven-plus-figure business and want to reach the next level for yourself and your business, if you have passions, goals, and dreams, and want to continue to strive as a team, a leader, and a visionary without risking burnout, if you have overcome challenges, developed wisdom, and know that adapting is not just for surviving, but a core part of thriving, then adaptability coaching is for you. With psychology and neuroscience-backed tools, the 3D Adaptation Framework can show you how to tap into and harness 
the way our brains are uniquely designed for adaptation. You can learn to harness and leverage adaptability tools and frameworks to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to hone yourself further, to proactively adapt, to thrive, instead of reactively adapting, just to survive. To learn more, go to dryishai.com slash coaching. Our Insight Sunday conversation is so packed that I just had to share it all with you, which means a double dose of insight this week. In part one, Justin shares the story of founding Markley, along with the pivots taking his company in a completely new direction. We also talk about the definition of an influencer, the psychology underpinning influence, and the role of influence in marketing. And now, without further ado, join me in welcoming Justin Klein. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Glad to be here, Yushai. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for grabbing a seat with me on the business couch today. And just by way of intro, on Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of entrepreneurs and business leaders to uncover insights and extract tangible takeaways to learn from and implement. But really, I just wanted to start with the story of you deciding to found and create Markerly. Yeah. So it all started with a completely different idea than what Markerly ultimately ended up becoming. I originally had an idea for an app that would enable people to select text in articles online and to seamlessly be able to like save those quotes. Essentially Mm. I dubbed it like a, a Pinterest for text. And the idea was that like all of the world's most important information would be highlighted and annotated kind of like getting, you know, like a used textbook Mm. in school, you know, where hopefully the person that did all the highlighting before you bought it did a good job. Right. And, uh, you kind of would have your own clips notes version of, of that Mm -hmm. book. And the idea was that like, well, if everyone used this app and, you know, highlighted and saved all of their most favorite quotes, then the entire world's like editorial content could be, you know, in that same kind of way, like highlighted and, you know, all the juiciest content would be uh, more easily available for people. So that's, that's how it all started. Mm -hmm. And that, idea and application that we ended up getting like thousands of people to join. And uh, we had like publishers and embedding like the tech so that you didn't even need to have like a browser plugin, right? Cause there were two ways that you could use it. You'd have like a browser plugin, or if the publisher had the code installed, um, it would just automatically work. Mm-hmm. And it would also make that text like very shareable. So like you select it and then you could like hit like share it on mm-hmm. Twitter or Facebook and yeah, so that got us into um, this program called 500 Startups out in California. We were in uh, the fifth batch. It's uh, an accelerator program. And yeah, that kind of like brought us to California. We raised some money. They, they kind of like, it's like a boot camp. They teach you how to raise money. They teach you how to build a business, how to you know improve upon the business model. We had access to you know, all of these really amazing like Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, you know, the companies that have invested in 500 startups are, you know, cream of the crop, like Facebook, General Electric, Google, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, you name it. And a lot of like really great companies have come out of that program. So we were like super pumped and excited when we went out there and it was great. It was a great experience. And then while we were there, we ended up pivoting the business. We were like, all right, we want to monetize this more quickly. You know, we would have had to raise like an ungodly amount of money to try to get like critical mass Mm. to use this app so that we could realize that vision. we were like, let's just like make money. Let's just like start making money more quickly. Mm. Uh, And we had all this code on all these sites. So we knew like how people were engaging in all the content. And that kind of like allowed us to move into influencer marketing uh, because it was all about blogging then. Um, And I noticed, you know, like influencer marketing was growing pretty quickly across the blogosphere. And, you know, it all started with with mom blogs, really. They were all the rage. They were the most Mm -hmm. social. It was very heavy on on blogs and Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, because we had all this data, we knew like, you know, what people were selecting, right? Like on Mm. pages, we knew how far they were scrolling down the pages, we knew how long they were spending on these pages. So like we were able to extrapolate like engagement and like we came up with, you know, this metric called the read, right? Like how many true reads did the mm. content get? So yeah, we had an algorithm that took into account like all of these user actions to determine whether there was like a true read of that mm-hmm. post. And that kind of accelerated, you know, the whole like influencer marketing model that we were building, you know, because it was, it was rather compelling. Like if we can extrapolate, like how many reads, like uh, these influencers are generating on their content, it ended up becoming like a really valuable metric to advertisers. So we started to uh, monetize in that way. And then obviously as the space continued to grow and mature, um, these other platforms started to become more relevant, right? Like Instagram, like YouTube, Snapchat. Uh, now we have TikTok. So we ended up just continuing to build technology and to run campaigns that included these other platforms as well. Mm-hmm. And now I would say most of our work is on like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. And yeah, and here we are today. What I'm hearing is that you ended up really by the process of trying to create this app with the mission of kind of getting all the highlights of the best information out in the web, what you ended up really seeing is that you were collecting a lot of data and that data was something you started to use to kind of direct where is marketing going? Where is engagement going? I mean, we now live in an attention economy and you were able to really, because of the infrastructure you'd set up for that app, you were able to really see where people's attention was and what was going on with that attention. And I really appreciate also, I know that you have a particular definition for an influencer, which I wanted to kind of highlight. And I wanted to kind of ask you, how do you think about an influencer? Because you were talking about it by way of blogs and mommy blogs, which is not the way most people think about an influencer or the way people think about Instagram influencers. So how do you understand and define an influencer? Yeah, well, (laughs) influence, right? I would argue that, you know, like advertising and marketing right? Came after like the need to influence, right? Like cavemen needed to like influence their tribe to go hunt, you know, for 
Buffalo or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. or to trade, you know, there was, there, it's like the art of persuasion, right? That's what mm-hmm. influence is. So we're all influencers to a certain extent, right? There's a mm-hmm. broad spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that now that we have the internet and we have social media, it enables people to grow really large followings. So I think the term like social media influencer just became influencer, right? Mm. So now everyone just assumes like, oh, influencer means social media influencer. Mm. Whereas everyone is an influencer, if you think Mm. about it, whether you're on social or not. And some of the most influential people aren't even on social media, right? Mm. Like they just have friends in high places who can move mountains. Mm. uh, And, you know, if you can put a seed in their ear to do Mm -hmm. something, right, that can change, you know, the world. So I think that's how I look at influence and what an influencer is. But yeah, most people, they just assume, oh, influencer means, you know, popular on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fine. That's kind of like what the term has become. Mm -hmm. And given that that's the way it's often used, that's how people often think about it. I'm really curious, since you were talking about influencing and persuading, you know, I've also seen in a few different places that you kind of talk about influence as collaboration, as community, and as being of value or interest to that community. And that's what kind of gives that that power or empowers the person to then have influence because of what they're providing or giving or the value that they're creating inside of their community. As you said, some of the, the biggest influencers in a community are people who have these positions of leadership that aren't leadership because they're the head of an organization. It's because they're really able to galvanize and get people together and because they're making these investments and into the, and these are human investments into the people around them and helping to support and helping to lift them up in some way, shape or form. And then those people are really feel drawn to and feel affected by that person. And they are also, they feel kind of connected and interconnected. And I kind of wanted to ask you to juxtapose those two, because on the one hand, we talk about when it comes to marketing, there's a lot of ideas about marketing and advertising as persuasion and trying to get people to do things they don't necessarily want to do, as opposed to this concept of connecting and collaborating and creating value, generating something, and that being then of benefit to the community. Yeah, I would look at influence as a tool, and you can use that tool you know, for good or evil, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You can do it to, you know, convince people to buy products they don't need, right? Or you can convince people and influence them to make the world a better place, right? Or to buy products that will help their lives, Mm. right? And yeah, I think like within organizations, as you mentioned, sometimes like, yeah, the CEO or like the head honchos of the business, right, are not necessarily the most influential. Sometimes it's, the middle managers or people that have been there for 20 years who you know everyone in the company you know and they have the most sway right mm-hmm. um because they've built up that goodwill over so much time and you know just they've built that trust because i think a lot of it does have to do with trust and trust takes years to build it can take like one second to break mm-hmm. you know like so i do think that you know, influence is persuasion, but it requires that people trust you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as you were talking about influence as a tool, the way I tend to think about tools is a tool is something that reduces the required input 
and increases the kind of output. So a classical example of that is if I wanted to go somewhere and I needed to walk, it would take a lot more energy to go further and would take more time to go further than let's say if I was using a bike. That bike is a tool. That tool lowers the energy input and increases the output, how quickly I get there or how far I can go. And what I'm hearing as you're talking about it, the way my brain is kind of thinking and processing it is when we talk about influence and the trust that you're talking about, it's when you've built this relationship and when the influencer has built this relationship, whether in their community or on social media, what they've done is they have shown the community or the people who are following them, who are taking in what it is that they're sharing or having to say, they've built up and shown that person who they are, how they think, the reasons that they think or approach things in a particular way. And they've also been giving, kind of making these investments or deposits or providing something of value to that community. And what happens is that then lowers the required energy input for let's say those communities, the members of those communities to take something that that person says and choose to act on it. That trust is kind of like that conduit for you said this. Well, I know that when you talk about things, I like them. Or when you've shared about products or you've shared about an experience you've had, that that's really resonated for me or it's been really helpful or useful for me. You and I think alike. And so when you share your thought on something, I don't need to go evaluating, reevaluating or doubting that in the same way. And so that lowers the energy or the, the input required to then make that decision. And that's kind of how that influence works as a mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Like the more that you trust someone, right, the easier it'll be for them to persuade you. Mm-hmm. Or for them to make a suggestion and you'll choose to follow that suggestion. Yes. Right? And even when that's a choice, even when that's the choice that you're making, or that somebody in that community is making, it is a choice that requires less from them or they're going to take less time energy because of that relationship, because of that trust. That's the reason when a friend recommends a restaurant to us, we say, oh yeah, I would love to go there. Or we kind of get juiced up. We, we get motivated and interested in doing that because of how we understand or experience that relationship. That really lowers the bar. Whereas if we see a big sign that says, new restaurant opened up, that's not going to reduce that energy or that input requirement quite as much. It's not going to motivate us as much. We're not going to feel quite as juiced up to go there. Yeah. I also think that it depends on context. And mm. you know, if, you're, if you have a friend that recommends a restaurant and you know that they are a Chinese... It's a Chinese food restaurant and mm-hmm. you know that they are aficionados of Chinese food, right? Mm-hmm. Then you're going to trust them even more. But if they like... Uh, if you've never eaten Chinese food with them and you know you mm-hmm. don't know if they've been to many Chinese food restaurants, you might not put as much weight towards it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And to build on top of that, if they recommend a restaurant and you go there and you have a miserable experience, the next time you hear a recommendation from them, you're going to potentially really have more pause. And that kind of speaks back to that trust component. And there's so much context there. There's knowing and having experience and them sharing with you who they are, what's important to them, you know, their fine taste for Chinese food or their sampling of so many different restaurants of Chinese food, as well as what happens when you follow their recommendation. So I want to bring all of that back into the realm of influencer marketing and that being part of a strategy for the whole organization. So how does that translate over? Yeah. So like you mean like, how do we kind of make a business out of this? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So we work typically either directly with a brand or a brand's agency. And, you know, we build campaigns, right? And long running programs to activate influencers to create content because typically it's about content creation, right? And that ends up being like a piece that is out in the world that, you know, kind of is that influence mechanism, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, that lives on their social media pages. And yeah, it's very much a content play, right? Like, let's find really amazing partners that we feel, you know, fits the brand's ethos, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, who will be the best representative for the campaign Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, get them to create content um, Mm -hmm. to spread the message to their followers. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes actually increasingly more often we are putting ad spend behind those posts because, you know, now, you know, Facebook, TikTok, you know, these various platforms allow you to actually like boost the native content Mm -hmm. to just get more eyeballs to that content. So thinking about how that translates over from the conversation we were having about, you know, recommendation from a friend and context, when it comes to really identifying and, and activating an influencer, it's really about finding someone, as you said, who really is aligned with the brand, the values, the ethos of the company. Meaning if the company is a food company and the influencer is someone who really talks a lot about food or who is very well known for having that approach. And maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's also personality pieces. If the brand or the company has playfulness as something that's a part of them, then having somebody who's in an influential space who's really serious or really angry or that's kind of the way they approach things are very critical. That might not fit quite as well. And so finding the right fit there is really important. And then connecting them in such a way that the influencer is interested in and chooses to create content, which then the company can kind of boost with that ad spend. It it kind of allows them to cast that net a bit wider. Exactly. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 